Welcome to the Platform Podcast. My name is Amrit Rai, Director and Head Recruiter of Platform Sports Management. We help athletes secure sports scholarships within the American college system. The purpose of this podcast is to educate parents and athletes about the tennis college system. We are very excited for today's show. We have a former NCAA Division I college coach joining us and we'll be sharing some great advice for those who wish to pursue a tennis scholarship. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello everyone, welcome to today's platform podcast. We are very, very excited to have a coach with us today who has coached at many amazing tennis programs within the college system. Rob Gurdon, welcome. Hey, how you doing? Good man, good. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. And um, you've got a very, very um, glowing coaching CV. You've coached at many uh, colleges within the college system. I've even met you in America in LA. Um, at one of the colleges you worked at. So, Rob, how did it all start? Which colleges, which colleges did you uh, coach at? Please share some insight into that. Yeah, no, I've been fortunate to uh, have been at five different universities. Um, I uh, I started in 2013 at Purdue University on the women's side. I was the assistant there, and then spent a, spent a year at Northwestern uh, on the women's side. Was an assistant there as well, and great programs, Big Ten, you know, huge athletic departments, and then got an opportunity to be a head coach and, and took that opportunity in uh, Colorado at the University of Northern Colorado on the men's side. And because uh, I've, I've, my background has been women's and men's, so I've kind of had a, a diverse kind of almost 50-50 split. But then um, we had a, a chance as a family to move to LA and go to Loyola Marymount University for the men. And so I was the associate head coach there for two years and and uh, we had a good season my second year, and, and uh, unfortunately, I got thyroid cancer and, and uh, decided to leave college coaching and spend a little more time with my family, so we started our, our own business. But uh, yeah, I love being a college coach. It's obviously, the, you know, the environment's great and the camaraderie and the, you know, the, the opportunity to pick your team you know, and pick the players that you want on your team and, and uh, work towards a kind of a bigger you know, vision, you know, not just for yourself, is, is a unique situation. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we we're so sorry to hear about, um, about your cancer that you got. I mean, I, I, met, I met Rob, uh, for everyone that's listening, at, at America, at Loyola Marymount University. And I had like 30 minutes, um, you know, delay between my flights uh, that I could actually leave the airport for 30 minutes to come back to check in for my next flight. And, you know, Rob picked me up, showed me around the university. And, you know, just the vibe that was on campus was, it was so electric. Um, you know, you showed me like the, it was the women's team training in the gym at the time. You know, you showed me all the courts where the guys were practicing. There was a basketball coach that walked past who happened to coach Dwayne Wade <laughs> and yeah. LeBron James. So it was awesome, man. It was awesome. I can tell that, you know, you had a really good time in the college scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, uh, I miss it, you know, and, and there's times where I, you know, I'm following, you know, my teams and my friends that are coaches yeah, and some sure. players that I was recruiting and, and even kids that I used to coach in juniors are, are in college currently. And uh, it's just an exciting, you know, kind of um, life changing, you know, opportunity for players, you know, just to be on a team and, and study and, and work together and, and have that camaraderie that happens in, in college coaching or college tennis. Uh, it, it's, it's a unique situation. 
Fantastic, man. That's fantastic. And so, so now you're outside the the college system. Uh, you know, you're not doing college coaching anymore. However, you have started your own academy, your own tennis business. Please tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we um, the area that we live in, and and here in Los Angeles, um, there's an opportunity to kind of start a program, and and so we noticed that, and uh, kind of transitioned from uh, college to. Uh, more younger juniors, kind of introducing them to the sport. and Yeah, uh, that's you and your wife doing this, right? Yep, yep. It was my wife and I doing it together. And, and uh, this year, actually, we're excited because we have a, a really strong staff. I mean, I think we have the strongest staff on the West Side uh, working wow. together as a team. And, and I'm excited for the curriculum that we have going. And uh, we just got back from the U.S. Open, actually, last night. And uh, yeah. we, got, we got invited by the uh, USTA, which is the governing body of tennis uh, for here in Southern California. And they invited six players from our program to go and play on uh, Louis Armstrong Stadium. at the Oh, USTA. that's amazing. Yeah, it was it was it was cool. I mean, I you know, I, I'm 48 years old and I've been doing this for a long time, but I was out there kind of like with goosebumps, you know, and I, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I can't even imagine what an eight or nine or 10 year old kid is, is you know, thinking and feeling. So, um, yeah. Did you manage to meet any pros at all? Or you see any pros practice, et cetera? Oh, yeah. We saw, gosh, we saw almost everybody practice, except for Federer. Actually, I was <laughs> trying to find Federer, but it just didn't work oh, out. Oh, dude, I right. haven't seen him. I've, I've, I've been to all of, like most of the slams, and I have not seen Federer yet. That's one thing on my bucket list. I Well, that's another story. I, mean, I, I was at the, the um, BMP Paribas in Palm Springs last yeah. year. And uh, we were actually, well, was it, oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't last, it was a year before, but we were there for uh, a team match for the, the event there, the, the college event that they had. And yeah. I, I actually used a bathroom and I went inside the, the players lounge area because we had credentials. And uh, it was an hour before the final, before the Mets final. The only yeah. people that were in there were Federer and his, and his two coaches. And they were just sitting wow. at the table and, and, uh, I was like, oh my God, like, yeah, that felt like a, <laughs> felt like a 10 year old boy, you know? And I was kind of yeah, like, okay, what, what do I do now? Do I, do I go up and ask for an autograph or a selfie? But uh, yeah. no, it was, it was kind of funny, but uh, some of the players actually came in behind me from our team and they were like, you know, uh, pooping their pants and, and kind of the same way. So uh, it, that, yeah, it was, you know, that, that, that stuff is cool. We saw a bunch of players walking around, but um, our focus was, you know, at, at least on this trip, you know, the, over this past weekend was, you know, having our little kids have a great experience and, you know, coordinating all that stuff. And so, I mean, it was awesome for them to be on a brand new court. I mean, we were one of the first people to go on Louis Armstrong. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's incredible facility. But um, yeah, we got a chance to see all the guys practice. And fortunately for me, uh, you know, I've been coaching for a while and and I saw two of the guys that I used to spend some time with traveling, um, Tennis Sangren and and Evan King. And actually Evan, Evan was uh, uh, help. Uh, he, she was helping, or he was helping Serena warm up uh, for her. Oh marriage. wow! So uh, I happened. I was like, she did amazing against Sharapova, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. I think. Well, uh, you know, maybe Evan can take credit for that, but uh, I think his her, her her normal practice partner is Jameer Jenkins, and they're, they're good buddies. So it was uh, it was kind of interesting because we were walking around when we first got on on uh, site, and uh, we noticed that she was practicing, and, and I look out there, I was like, is that Evan? And because I used to work with Evan from when he was a little tyke. And uh, so that, that was cool and get a chance to talk to him a little bit and, and uh, saw Tennis Sangren and he traveled with us a little bit too when he was playing Futures. And, and so I got a chance yep. to talk to him and, 
it was, it's just kind of like those kind of experiences too, you know, cause I see from the little kids that we're working with now and kind of getting them started the right way, all the way up to like guys that are out there doing it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's good to see that, that type of progression and imagine that. Cause I've known, you know, Evan since he was about, I think seven or eight and uh, to see him go through the progress, uh, the transition from juniors to playing number one at Michigan to turning pro to struggling on the tour to now having yeah. some success and trying to find his way. You know, I'm really proud of that, that, uh, you know, for, for, uh, of him for that, you know, for having the mindset and the perseverance to, to continue to just, you know, have the right perspective and to just train and enjoy the process and those types of things. So it was, it was really cool. Which obviously there's this big debate going on right now that, you know, back in about seven years ago, a lot of people were not looking as college as an option, you know, yep. a lot of tennis athletes that were trying to go, you know, from playing the ITF juniors and then go straight into playing like future events and then going that route. But now a lot of people are, you know, going into the college system, for example, like Cameron Norrie, you know, he went to TCU for one year, used the resources there, then he jumped and went straight into the uh, into the ATPs, et cetera. So are you finding that a lot more a lot more players are using the college system? And have you got any stories of any athletes that you, maybe you've worked with, uh, like the Sangrens, et cetera, that have gone on to the college system and then gone on to the pro ranks? Oh, yeah. No, when I, I got into college coaching in 2013, and the, one of the first trips that I did was go to the U.S. Open to recruit at the junior tournament, and that was when I was at Purdue. Yeah. And it was funny because even in the qualies, um, a lot of those players, you know, they're ranked between, you know, 55 and like maybe 150 ITF. Yeah. And I mean, sure. you know, that's, that's a good level. But at the same time, like, you know, if you don't have money behind you, you know, if you don't have a, a great it's support tough. system or you have just a, a family that, you know, has the, the financial uh, wherewithal to be able to support you for multiple years, um, you're, it's a tough road. I mean, I spent a, a, about three or four years on the on the Futures Tour, and, I mean, there was an article recently, um, an interview with Noah Rubin talking about that process of, you know, becoming an ATP player and, and, and the, the transition from, you know, juniors to pros. And he spent a year in college, won the national title, and then decided to turn pro, and now he's grinding. And But, yeah, when I was getting into college coaching – you know, my intention was one of the reasons why I got into college coaching was I felt like it was a, a legitimate pathway to the pros. You know, the facilities yeah. were phenomenal. You know, the coaches were full-time coaches to be able to train you. You know, you had great competition. Uh, you could travel and still play pro events and, and, and take the summer and go play futures and challengers and that kind of thing. So I felt like it was a, it was a really good opportunity to develop players but not ask them to pay for it, if, you, if that yeah. makes any sense. So yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. So so when I got into it, I was I was kind of surprised uh, over you know this was on the women's side, but I was a little surprised over the attitude of the players back then that they weren't interested in college. They felt like that was like like um, like failing. In other words, they wanted. Yeah, to it was like a secondary thing. Exactly. Yeah, and not sure. even like a like a something to fall back on. It was more like I want to be a pro. I'm going 100 percent in that direction. And then if I have to go to college, you know, that's kind of a failure. And, and so the, yeah. the good thing was, you know, over the course of my, you know, five years in, in college coaching, that attitude has changed. You know, I've noticed the last yeah. couple of years, you know, there was, you know, like, for example, Alex Geller, 
you know, was I think the number one player in the, in the world in juniors. And he went to Stanford and uh, actually didn't even have a great season his freshman year, you know, didn't win the national title, yeah. didn't, you know, kill everybody. And so, you know, the level has gone up and I think it's definitely an international sport, which I think helps too. It's not just an American sport. So you get players coming from all over the world and coming together and competing together in, in, a, in a league and um, they get to do it with friends. And so, yeah, I've, I've noticed that a lot of the players are considering college. And in fact, some of them are even looking to college first because of the financial aspect. You know, they get the training, they get the education, you know, that they can fall back on, which maybe we can discuss later. But, um, you yeah. know, it's, 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 a, it's a great opportunity for, for an up-and-coming player. I mean, of any level. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely, man. I mean, like last year, like there's so many college players right now that are, you know, in season, like in, in the college semester, obviously they're at university, but outside it, you know, between the, the spring semester and the fall semester, each year you've got three months, yep. you know, and athletes can go on and play futures and um, get their world ranking, etc. cetera. And um, this time last year, I went to Jakarta with my younger brother um, who was playing a futures event over there. And there was a couple of guys from Oregon that were, you know, in the, all the Oregon gear that were in the qualies, yep. you know, grinding it out. And um, they were looking so good and sharing their experience. And they said, yeah, like we're working, working our butts off in the spring semester. And now it's futures time, you know. Yeah. And even uh, one of the guys from University of Miami was there. And on the men's side, and the Miami men's tennis coach was there with them, you mm. know, like financing the whole thing. So, you know, college is an amazing thing. And I think that using the resources like – the, the amazing facilities, you know, the, the physios, uh, the nutritionists yeah. to help enhance your sporting ability is a massive thing at no cost. Oh, yeah. You know, cost is the biggest thing that stops people. Well, what's interesting um, too, you know, just on, on the summer note is you can always, uh, as a college coach, you can always tell who's motivated based on if, yeah. they, if they're playing tournaments in the summer. You know, for, for, those, yeah, for sure. those people out there that are current college players, you know, if you're not playing tournaments in the summertime when you're not in school, then you're not really a, a serious player. You know, that's that's most college coaches' opinions. Now, that doesn't mean that right after the semester's done, you go, you know, take the next flight out and you and you go grind. You know, you take some time off, you recover, and then you you plan your schedule ahead of time, and then you go out and you play some events, and and it kind of gives you an right. You got your building blocks and exactly. all of that. And, and but it but it also yeah, tells sure. your coach, you know, that you're serious. You know, if you're not just taking the summer off and you're going to hang out on the beach and eat cheeseburgers, you know, you're you're yeah. you're you're going to go out there and compete. You know, and and you're going to train and compete, and 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 that that type of thing goes a long way to impressing your coaches and. And impressing your prospective college coaches, you know, the ones that you're looking to, you know, the coaches you're looking to, um, you know, try to impress to get on their team. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, we mentioned a little bit about, you know, the summertime playing in the summertime. So just to give a little bit of insight into that to the people listening, um, the summertime in America is between May and August. Yep. So the year ends in May, the year starts in August within the American college system. So, there's two seasons in the college system, right? So there's the fall season and the spring season. Uh, the fall season is from August to December, spring season from January to May. So tell us a little bit about what both those seasons at university look like. Are they the same? Are they different? What's included in them? Can you give some insight into that? Oh, yeah. No, they're, they're like two separate seasons for the most part. Um, the fall is considered to be the individual season. Um, even though there are some events where you go as a team – you compete primarily individually. 
And that's where some schools, you know, depends on what their goals are, you know, in terms of schools or individually, but some schools will actually send you, like I think you mentioned, uh, they'll send you to futures, they'll send you to challengers if you can get in and they'll finance it. Um, so there's certain schools that'll do that. Um, there's other tournaments that you go to and there are individual tournaments where they enter, you know, all, you know, whoever, whatever players want to go play that tournament or, um, you know, cause you only get four events in, in the fall, or, I'm sorry, you get 25 total events or total, um, like, uh, you can compete 25 times over the course of the school year. So if you have 21 matches in the spring, uh, you know, like dual matches, and, and the coach, you know, obviously wants you to play most of those, if not all of them. Then if, let's say you played all 21. Um, then you have four more left um, to play in the fall. So you have four events that you can play in the fall. You can play futures. That counts as one. Uh, if you get supported, if you go on your own and you pay for it on your own, that doesn't count as one of your yeah. 25. So, so there's a lot of individual events. Uh, there's some team events. They call them like hidden duels. Um, generally, there's a lot of strength training. Uh, happening during the fall. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, yep. um, you know, getting stronger, getting more flexible, getting faster, getting fitter, um, you know, these types of things. They're trying to build a base. And generally that, that becomes tough. I mean, you know, to be honest, when I was at, uh, you know, particularly the Big Ten schools, you know, the, we, we pushed them pretty hard in the fall and they were still playing tournaments that weekend. And so the idea was we were going to continue to build you physically and mentally by pushing you and challenging you but then let you go compete even when you're sore. So there, it, it was really challenging because I think especially in the junior side um, and, and even playing futures, you're not, you're not used to doing that. You're not used to. Uh, yeah. Right. You know, yeah. You're used to doing like cycles and periodization where you train hard, you start to taper down, then you compete fresh, you know, where physically you're fresh and then you come back and you train again. And so it, it's different in, in college. Because we'll be training, we'll have like three sessions of, of fitness, uh, you know, per week. And then, you know, maybe like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, let's say for an hour uh, each day. And then you'll do some obviously on-court footwork and kind of conditioning type stuff. Then you'll go play on Saturday, you know. So it's, it's like you have a workout Friday yeah. and that was a tough workout. I mean, you're doing squats and you're doing deadlifts and you're doing some, you know, some, some t- you know, good stuff that's going to make you stronger. But it's also going to make you sore. And, and yet you still have to go out there and compete and play and, and play to your best ability and, and uh, you know, learn how to play in, in, with not pain, but discomfort. So that's kind of the fall. Yeah, that's kind of the fall in general. The fall is much shorter, too. So generally, uh, it's usually around eight weeks or so, eight to, t- eight to nine weeks, somewhere in that range. Yep. It depends on how you, you, you do your schedule because you get a certain amount of days that you can uh, train over the course of the school Absolutely. Year. So the, obviously they take the spring and then they work backwards from the conference tournament. So depending on how many days that is, that's usually most of the semester in the spring. And then from there, then you have whatever's left over you use in the fall. But uh, yeah, the spring is, is what, you know, where, where the, the meat and potatoes are, you know, in most, most people's opinions. You have the team, you compete as a team, you have a lineup, you know, it's one through six and one, two and three doubles. And that's where you really play as a team. You compete as a team, you go to travel as a team. And uh, that's that's the fun stuff, you know, and, and especially if you like being on a team. So that's, kind of, you know, that's where it's like, you know, Stanford versus USC or whatever. And, and that's where you really see the fireworks and the, the competitive drive. And you see, you know, people just battle to the end and you, you're supporting your it's team. It's amazing. Out there. Yeah, no, and the fans yeah. get nuts. 
you know, they get much, much crazier. You know, it's much, much more electric when you're playing for something uh, bigger than yourself. And yeah, it's all that pride, pride, school pride, and you know you're playing, you're playing for someone else, and you yep. know when you, as soon as you, as soon as you play for a college, you know you're not just playing for yourself; you're representing a big brand that a lot yep. of people are part of. And yeah. you know, for those that are interested in like seeing what college tennis is like, YouTube it. There's so much stuff yep. on YouTube, uh, pictures, um, hype videos, etc. You know, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, and they also have live streaming on a lot of universities. Yeah, most universities nowadays have live streaming and and some I mean, they're even doing uh, live uh, video, you know, on TV uh, in Orlando, you know, for some of those college, I think they call them college game day. And um, yeah, ESPN uh, doing some work, right? ESPN are broadcasting some of the, the NCAA tournaments as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The tournaments and and the matches. I mean, they'll they'll have two, yeah. you know two matches down there, or, or two big teams come down there and and compete at a neutral site down there at the national campus, and they have like video cameras. I mean, it's a, it's literally a <laughs> live event like you would see at the U.S. Open. So it's, it's yeah, absolutely uh, it's super cool. So you can see the fans and what they're doing, and you can see the reactions of the coaches. It's not just the camera in the background, um, but uh, yeah, I mean that's that's the meat and potatoes is the spring, and that's where you're competing for a conference title. You're competing to try to get into the NCAA tournament and then compete for a national title. So uh, and so, how does that work? So how does that work for people that are out there that don't understand how it works? Like obviously, there's co- different conferences based on different divisions in America. Yep. So how does it work? You win your own conference and then you get your ticket to the NCAA tournament. Can you share some insight for the listeners out there? Yeah. So for example, um, you know, like let's let's talk about the Big Ten because I was in the Big Ten for a couple of years. So the Big Ten, they, play, they each team plays each other. You usually play each other one time, and then obviously they have standings to so who has the best win-loss percentage, and then they have a conference tournament, and they have seedings based on the conference tournament. And if you win the conference tournament, you automatically get a, a bid to uh, play in the NCAA tournament. So they allow 64 teams right. in the NCAA tournament at the Division One level, and it varies on the different levels, but uh, if you're talking Division One, you have 64 teams. You have one from each conference. I believe there's 17 conferences. Uh, something to that effect, and then they have at-large. So they take the rankings, and then they take those 17 uh, conference champions, they put them off to the side, and then they start going down the list, and they start taking teams that are ranked. So generally, the cutoff to get into, uh, excuse me, to get into the NCAA tournament is around 42 in the country. So if you're a top 42 team, you generally get in. Uh, if you're like 50 or 60 in the country, you, you're you're not getting in for the most part, unless you won your uh, conference title. You got to win your conference, yep. right? Yeah, big time. So awesome. that's that's awesome. kind of yeah, that's kind of the idea. And so obviously, conference is super important because you know that's kind of like your league, and then that's where your team wants to do because all the other um, teams on your or all the, all the other sports on campus are in the same conference. So that's kind of how yeah. they measure you compared to other teams on campus, and and you kind of get a feel for like you know, are you guys having a good season or not? you know, is based on your conference record generally. And then secondarily, it's the the national ranking, if you can get it. So unfortunately, they've cut down the rankings from 75, um, you know, one through 75 to now they have, actually, they start out the season with one through 25. So it's it's unfortunate for the teams that are in the 50 to 75 range. They don't get to see their, you know, names up there. And uh, it makes it a little tricky. But um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, 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 that's, that's what it's all about. It's teams getting, you know, winning the conference, get the NCAA tournament, compete at the NCAA tournament. So we were fortunate enough at Purdue and Northwestern to uh, play in the NCAA tournament 
Um, when I was at Purdue, we played um, – gosh, who did we play? We played uh, Georgia Tech and, and lost <laughs> nice. to them. They're, they're a good, good team. Uh, well, oh, they're amazing. Yeah. They're an amazing and then, team. And when I was at Northwestern, we traveled out to UCLA and played uh, St. Mary's and then won that match. And then the second round, we played UCLA, and they ended up uh, – I think they won the national title that year. So we played. Yeah, the UCLA has always been very strong, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They they are a traditional powerhouse, and at that time they had Jennifer Brady, who's now I think top hundred in the world. She was playing three for them. So that yeah. Was pretty, and, and Robin Anderson, who was very very good. I'm not even sure what Robin's doing right now, but she was playing number one. So they had a super good team. There was a guy that I've seen creep up inside the top 60, 70 ranks. Um, Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Mackenzie McDonald. Mackenzie McDonald. Yeah, McDonald, and yeah. I seen him. I seen him on TV um, at one of the slams that like, warming up, and he had a UCLA shirt on. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He played there. He won. I think he won a national title a couple years ago. Actually, I, when we were at the Open, we saw Marcos Giron play too. Oh wow! And he, uh, yeah, he played a tough match against a Japanese player. Yeah, uh, Nishi, Nishioka. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I watched that. Yeah, match. that was a great yeah. match. That was great. Uh, very high level. Super. I mean, all it was great atmosphere because all the Japanese fans came out and watched and supported. And, and, uh, but, uh, yeah, so we were, we were fortunate enough to compete at, you know, at the NCAA tournament. And, and, uh, it was, it's just a great experience. That's amazing, man. And, um, you know, we spoke a little bit about, you know, you saying that, you know, the proactive athletes, the ones that are out there, you know, when they're in high school and they're playing tournaments, you know, that's what coaches look for. You know, when you were a coach, what did you look for in athletes when you're recruiting? Because obviously you were heavily involved in the recruiting side. You know, you got you, you would have had what hundreds of CVs come in trying to get scholarships within your program. What what's what made athletes stand out? What were you looking for? Was it results? Was it attitude? Was it the right college video? What was it? Well, that's a that's a good question. I think the first thing, obviously, is they have to be a good person. You know, they have to be somebody that you can get along with, you respect. And uh, I think that's the most important thing, you know, to be honest, because they could be the best player in the world, but if they're going to ruin your team because of their attitude um, or their perspective on life and, you know, being around others and they were super selfish, that, that could ruin your program. So, so for us, it was about getting to know them and, and them, um, you know, kind of uh, you know, having a good conversation on the phone and, and via email, being very uh, professional you know, and, and getting back to coaches. Yeah. Um, when, when it, when you get an email or a text message or, a, you know, a Facebook messenger message, you know, to get back to them promptly as, you know, as soon as you can and just be forthright. You know, there were, there were times where some players, you know, were obviously probably talking to a lot of different coaches, but then, you know, they wouldn't get back to you and they kind of leave you hanging. And right. the next thing you know, they, they, you would find out on social media that they verbally committed somewhere Versus we had a lot of respect for players that would just be upfront and say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but you're not one of our top choices. And uh, then they would, you, you could move on, yeah. you know, instead of thinking that they were still on your list, you know, and I think that's, that's fair to ask for from the, the coaches as well. You know, if you're a player, you know, you don't want a coach just kind of leave you hanging and thinking you're in the mix. And the next thing you know, they're, they're not even interested at, at all in you and they stop responding. And so, I think it's important for, you know, both sides, you know, the player and the coach to be um, honest, forthright, um, professional, punctual, you know, and, and just be straightforward, you know, and, and, yeah. and then it's a good fit. 
it, it it'll it'll happen. You know, so I think that's, that's the most important thing. And it, and it's kind of tough, you know, with some international students and especially college coaches. College coaches wear so many different hats. You know, the mentor, the yeah. coach. Um, you know, they got to make sure everything's looked after. The manager. So there's so many different things that are going on, and on top of that, they got to try and you know, sit down on, on Skype and network with these athletes internationally and try to meet time zones. And, you know, we've had a couple of athletes that they would call me and say, hey, Amr, you know, this coach didn't show, um, et cetera. You know, I, I always tell my athletes, don't, like, if it, if it happens the first time and it's, a, it's like just a complete miscommunication, you know, don't be uh, frustrated yeah. about it because, you know, there's so much going on on the, on the college coach's side. You know, like it's yeah. so tough. It must like how many hours do you guys were you guys awake in a day? And when you were a college coach, it, it must have been crazy. Yeah, no, no. And there were there were times where just you know, there's so many um, you know balls up in the air that you don't even know which side is up. And yeah. so yeah, I mean, there were times where I've missed you know uh, you know appointments and and uh, you know conversation times that we had set up, and uh, you know I felt super bad about those. And yeah, I I, I think your advice is is true that, you know, one time is not a big deal, but if it's yeah. a consistent pattern, then that's maybe something to think about, you know, in terms of, do you want to be a part of that program? Yeah, you for know? sure. Like if they missed it and they didn't like follow up with an email saying, Hey, sorry about that or anything like that. Then obviously it shows yeah. like, maybe you're not at the, like the top of the top of their list right now. Um, and do you want to pursue something that like that? You know what I mean? But if it's like, yeah. A, a simple mis miscommunication and the coach is like, you know, so sorry about that. Um, you know, like let's definitely set up a call then, you know, give them a chance. Oh yeah. No, no. And, and uh, you know, especially during certain, I mean, the tough part of, you know, with international too, especially in Asia, because they're on the other side of the world, which makes the time change, you know, like even our conversation here, you know, I'm in yeah. LA and you're in New Zealand. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a quite a bit, big time difference that, that sometimes gets tricky to coordinate, you know, with, with different times and, and different things. So, um, yeah, I think there's a little bit of, uh, you know, there, there needs to be a little slack there, I think from yeah. both sides, you know, so yeah, that's, sure. uh, you know, I think that, that, that's, that, that kind of thing is, is, is something that you can overlook, you know, in the short term. Um, but I think in terms of, you know, going back to, you know, what did we look for? Obviously, you know, results are somewhat important, you know, in terms of can they win a match? You know, it's yeah. not the end all be all. I think for, for me, it was, it was, you know, technically, are they sound? You know, do they have good mechanics? You know, because obviously if they have, a, you know, funky strokes or, you know, some hitches in their swings, you know, and they don't strike the ball consistently, you know, that could be a problem under pressure, you know, when there's some stress in a match. Um, yeah, yeah. That's important. Um, I think UTR is, is, is you know, I think it, it, it was more important, I think, in a, a couple of years ago when it first kind of became big in, in college. Um, I'm not sure where it is now. I've been out for a year, so I'm not yeah. sure. I, I've heard both ways. I know there's been an adjustment in the UTR. It's kind of dropped, you know, the, the average UTR for some players right now. Um, so I think that there, there's UTR could go back and forth. You know, you could say, yeah, it's super important because it shows your results against similar level players. Um, but at the same time, there, it's, it hasn't caught up all around the globe. You know, certain yeah. areas of the world, the UTR doesn't reflect the level of player. So it's not an end-all, be-all. <clears throat> what, what helps for us as, as college coaches is when we see that you play somebody that we know who they are, and, and then we see the result. So if, yeah, for sure. 
if you know player X played play, player Y and and I've seen player Y play or I've I've seen their results and I know what level they are and I've you know player X plays against them and it's you know I don't know five and four um, six five, or seven five six four then then I think that shows a, a certain level of aptitude. Um, yeah, but it's, not an it's got people. more value, right? Yeah, but and at the same time, I mean, somebody could be injured. You know, somebody could be sick, or they, and they lose one and one. That doesn't mean that they're, you know. So I guess it depends. So it's, it, I think it's a, it's it's a continuum of like, what 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 have you done in the last year or six months or whatever you know chunk that we're looking at. So that in terms of results, it's it's a it's a wide swath of results. It's not just one result or you know a lack of results. Um, but I think you know for 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 us at least for me, um, and from what I've heard from a lot of coaches, the, the videos aren't, they used to be much more important before the internet, because back in the day, people used to see, you know, send in videos, you know, like yeah. VHS tapes. Um, and I think it helps to, for us to see their mechanics, you know, and, the, and, and to hear them talk, for example, you know, at the, yeah, beginning, sure. at the beginning of a good video, you know, they introduce themselves, they give a little, you know, a little short little bio. And you get a chance to see how well they speak English, because if somebody can't speak English very well, obviously in New Zealand you're not going to have an issue with that. But certain countries, you know, if they can't speak the language, it's going to be tough to to get the grades. And, and yeah, even like you got to do the English speaking test, you know, and you're wondering yeah. if they can pass that or not. Yeah, that and, and the TOEFL, and 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 also in, in terms of even just coaching them, you know, we had we had a player, you know, at one of the schools I was at that, that their English was, you know, they could read and write. But their comprehension of verbal English, especially when somebody either spoke quickly or had a little bit of an accent, it was tough. I mean, it was tough yeah. to coach somebody like that. So, you know, that, that, that affects your ability to coach them. And if you're going to be with them for four years, obviously their, their English is going to improve. But that's, that's a potential issue too, you know, and for them to communicate with their teachers and their, you know, tutors, you know, and this type of thing. So, you know, I think the videos are important for that, those kinds of things, for, you know, hearing them speak, seeing their mechanics watching them play points, seeing shot selection. Um, you know, I think that they, the, the videos tend to need to be brief. Um, I think the, the shorter, the better, you know, I think at least from my experience, coaches just kind of fast forward through, they see you hit a few volleys, see, see you hit a few forehands, you know, they don't need to see, you know, five minutes of forehands, you know, for yeah, 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 for sure. They want to see everything, right? Yeah. They, they want to see opening sequences on points. They want to see your transition. They want to see yeah. your, defensive play uh what you're doing where you're approaching like if you're going to hit on the forehand and come in like cross court you know like yeah. they're looking out for stuff like that yeah so the so the videos are important but but uh i think it, it's a combination of that with the conversations that you have with them uh you know with their attitude and their perspective and what their goals are and then a combination of their utr and the results so i think it's a it's a big kind of picture you know type of thing so it's you know, we, we, we used to compare it to, you know, the NBA draft or the NFL draft, you know, where you, you look at their, the whole package, you know, what, what kind of results did they have, you know, when they were in college or whatever, um, you know, what kind of, um, you know, attitude they had, what their goals yep. are, what their work ethic is, maybe even what their coaches say about them, you know, so it's a, it's a combination of all that. So it, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of work for, you know, a young athlete you know, to do all those things and be solid at all those things. But at the same time, those are the things that will get you a job in the future too. You know, those Absolutely. Same, same types of skills. So there's a lot yeah. of value there. Absolutely. So look, man, thank you so much for this talk. And 
I'm going to put you on the spot. What is some quick advice for athletes that they can take home today? For for <laughs> a, a potential college athlete? A guy that's 15, 16, what would you tell them to keep doing? Work your butt off. I would say work your tail off. And the thing that I, that I, I think is important for a, a recruitable athlete is in the, in the recruiting process, you need to be yourself. Don't try to be somebody else because what will happen is You'll, you'll try to be somebody else and you'll try to be the person that, that you think they want. And then you go to campus and, and then you have to live your life there for four years and then you have to play a role. So I think the most yeah. important thing that I've noticed is be yourself, do your thing, you do you, and then you'll find a, a, a college and a coach and a, and a team that, that is a good fit for you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, Rob. We really appreciate it. Who do you think's taking home the USA Open 2019 title this year? Well, I, I hope it's Fed, but based on that first set that he played yesterday or the day before, it wasn't wasn't so good. But I, I'm, I mean, my my uh, you know heart picks Federer, and on the women's side, I I don't know. I mean, it's it's pretty open. I saw some pretty good players play, you know, when I was there and practicing, and I, I don't know. I mean, I think whoever gets hot on the women's side generally wins the tournament. But uh, the men's side, I mean, there's going to be some great matches on both sides. I'm, I'm excited to watch some this next couple of weeks. Oh, me too, man. Me too. Well, maybe next year I'll go and watch it there with you. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Awesome, man. Thank you so much, Rob. Uh, today, I know a lot of people will take a lot of good um, information out of this, and it's going to really going to help them uh, when they decide whether or not they want to go to college. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And all the best for um, your Hot Shots Academy. And for those that are interested in checking it out, check out the Hot Shots Academy Facebook page. Um, check out their website. See what they're doing. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, thank you, sir. It was good to spend some time with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, man. All right, man. Have a good one. Thank you so much for listening in to today's podcast. We hope you got a lot of information out of that. If you have any questions or you want to inquire about a sports scholarship in America, please check out our website at www.platformsportsmanagement.com. Thank you so much. Have a fantastic day.